0: Hello everybody, this is Kevin Witham, and welcome to season two of the Common Grounds Unity Podcast. In this season, we want to focus on practical discussions about unity within the Stone-Campbell movement and beyond. Jesus valued unity and prayed for it, that we may all be one, so that the world may know. We believe unity is best achieved through relationships rather than beginning with disagreements over doctrine, practice, or ideology. We value the gathering, breaking bread, and sharing a cup of coffee or your favorite beverage. We invite you to gather with another Christian outside your particular family of churches and tell others that unity starts with a cup of coffee. So grab a cup and let's get started with another episode of the Common Ground Unity Podcast. Welcome to another conversation in the Common Grounds Unity Podcast. Welcome back. I hope your day's going well. Tina Bruner, who is normally with me as the co-host, cannot be with us today. She is over serving in Eastern Europe and had some complications that kept us from uh, having her as the co-host today. So, Tina, God's blessings on you as you serve the Lord over in that part of the world. But good to have you back with us, listeners. We've, We've got another great conversation about a ministry that is committed to seeing the kingdom advance and expand and the gospel go out to others. So I'm going to introduce our uh, guest in just a couple of moments, but let me say at the beginning, if this is your first time listening to Common Ground Unity, our motto is unity begins with a cup of coffee, as we said in the start. So we hope you're building relationships and that these podcasts are helping you to build relationships with believers In your community, perhaps you haven't taken the opportunity to get to know and that some good fruit comes from that. We want to help to be, in part, the answer to Jesus's prayer that they may all be one so that the world may know. If you want to contribute financially in some way to Common Ground Unity, you can go to our website. There's a place in the show notes where you can find out where to find that. And we would love for you to partner financially with us as we build this ministry. Today we have with us uh, Todd Vaught, who is the executive director of Mission Alive, which is a missional church planting ministry with a focus on starting new, innovative churches and marginalized communities. He's also an author. He is the co-author of Discipleship Cohorts, Listening to God Through Scripture, Prayer and Mission, and the co-author of Catalyze Coaching, uh, canonic conversations for growth and change. He holds a master's in communication and a master's in ministry or in missions, I should say, both from Abilene Christian University. He lives in McKinney, Texas with his wife, Candace, who owns her own law firm. So she probably keeps him out of trouble. They have two adult children, a daughter who's a professional counselor in Austin, Texas, place where I lived for a number of years, and a son working on a Master's of Divinity at Abilene Christian University. Todd also is active in the life of the church. He serves as an elder in the Greenville Oaks Church of Christ in Allen, Texas.
1: Todd, welcome. So good to have you with us. How are things in Texas? Uh, Things are cooler now than they have been, so I'm loving it. I'm loving this weather here.
0: Absolutely. Uh, I lived in Texas for some years, and boy, once you hit October, mid-October, you were feeling good.
1: Yeah. I'll take six months of this if they'll to give it. I, you know,
0: we'll see. Absolutely. <laughs> but, yeah. Well, you might have to come out here to California to get that. Yeah, yeah that's what they <laughs> keep telling me. Yeah. But we're so glad to have you with us. Todd, tell us just a little bit about your uh, life, your your ministry. I believe you became a Christian in your college years, and your your journey with Christ started there. And then a little bit about your uh, your ministry. I understand you did some mission work before you started doing what you're doing now. So give us just a kind of a sketch of, of your life and spiritual journey.
1: So originally from Northern Illinois, my family uh, loosely identified as Methodist. Um, mostly it was a, a place to send me and my sister on Sunday morning so my parents could get some extra sleep. Uh, but there was some some influence, right? Like I have some very fond memories of of my time there as a little kid in the Methodist church. But we moved to Oklahoma when I was in middle school, and that kind of put an end to that. Um, It wasn't for about four or five years, and then when I was in high school, started attending a more charismatic type church with some friends. And that was another moment of You know, me kind of coming to terms with what do I believe and is this the kind of person I want to be? I headed off to college, and for the first couple of years of college, I I kind of uh, enjoyed all the college has to offer, so to speak. Um, But uh, in the early part of my junior year, I was really having a. a hunger, uh, the, the spirit—I think—was stirring in me. And through a couple of of events, I started studying the Bible with a guy. And uh, oh, I don't know, six or eight weeks into that, he kind of got in my face, and he was like, "Man, you're gonna have to decide whether you believe this stuff or not. And if so, you know, what are you gonna do about it?" He says, "Sounds like you've been kind of playing around on the edge of Christianity your whole life." And and he was right. He called me out. I needed to be called out. And so, a couple of days later, I was baptized into Christ. So that was really uh, it, there was a, there was a lot of paving that had happened ahead of time, but that was really the moment. And that was uh, that was in the context of a kind of traditional Church of Christ, but the campus ministry was heavily influenced by the early version of the ICOC at the time. We knew it as the Boston Movement, or the you know discipling movement or whatever. But I was pretty heavily influenced by him. And uh, for the first three years of my Christian faith, um, it was, uh, I mean, we were serious, right? Like we were serious about discipleship. We were serious about it. And, um, but then went on to do graduate work in missions at ACU. And while that was also a radically transformative experience for me, it also was a bit of a discouraging experience because I, it was obvious that there wasn't the same level of passion, um, or commitment to, um, you know, a lifestyle. Um, so, you know, I had to kind of grapple with that, but, uh, at ACU formed a mission team, ended up being the first, uh, mission team from churches of Christ to go into French speaking West Africa. So we moved, to Benin. Well, I spent a year in Quebec studying French. And then in 93, we moved to the West African country of Benin, a little small country just to the west of Nigeria. And um, very animistic, uh, heavily animistic. Uh saw a lot of crazy stuff, saw you know, people worshiping idols and and pouring out libations and making sacrifices of goats and chickens and whatnot. Um, that was a fairly regular occurrence. Um, and we recognized that we were in a fairly dark, um, spiritually evil place. Um, and we saw any number of missionaries in a relatively small country. Small, all the missionaries together of any denomination couldn't have been. 50 people, you know? Mm -hmm. So, and so we knew what was going on with all of them. And, and there was a lot of, uh, an inordinate number of serious difficulties. So, um, and two years into it, my wife was killed and I had an eight month old daughter at the time. And so I was one of those people that paid a price for, um, for going into a spiritually dark place, but that brought me back to the United States to regroup. And, um, and ended up planting a campus ministry in Birmingham, Alabama. Um, and I remarried. That's where I married my wife, Candace. and we just celebrated 25 years uh, in our marriage. And so, my daughter, that's in Austin, she's was born to my first wife, and my son, who's at A.C.U. right now, was born to my second wife. So, mm-hmm. but I mean, you know, you would never know that there was anything other than just the four of us, you know, by the way, right. by the way we live. But my kids are all very aware of all of that. So anyway, came back, planted a campus ministry in Birmingham, um, grew that up for about five, six years and then became the executive minister for the church, which was a, you know, about a thousand member church or so. Um, and then in the early two thousands felt the call to, a, leading a church, and so ended up in the New Orleans area, uh, leading the Tammany Oaks Church of Christ. And then Katrina hit, and we did a year of disaster relief work, which was the most exhausting year of my life. Uh, And also a very difficult year in many ways, saw a lot of really hard things, but also saw God do some amazing things. And so uh, that seems to be the way it goes. Usually, is in the in the most difficult of circumstances we see God do some of the most amazing things. So, um, I was able to see that, and it was in the context of that that I brought the founder of Mission Alive down to Louisiana to talk about planting new churches post-Katrina in the New Orleans area, since we knew where all the populations were coming back to. And he had been one of my professors of missions at ACU, and so one thing led to another, and he invited my wife and I to join the team. So we moved here to Dallas in 07, and been here ever since uh, in the Dallas area, and I became the executive director in 15 as he began to move toward retirement.
0: So, so tell us a little bit about the, the beginnings of Mission Alive. What, what, what exactly is it? What, what's its mission? Uh, what, what's the why behind this, uh, this ministry organization?
1: So our founder is Galen Van Rienen. Uh, he was a uh, missions professor at ACU for about 17 years. And in the middle of that time, close to the end, but in the midst of that time, he took a six-month sabbatical and he studied the, um, well, he studied missions in churches of Christ, primarily the acapella churches. And he studied the status, not just of international missions, but of the church's uh, orientation toward the larger mission of God. And his conclusions were fairly sobering that uh, by and large, North American churches of Christ had really lost almost entirely any Vision for mission in North America. Uh, In fact, the word mission is so, so often, I mean, well over 90% of the time, I'm sure, only associated with cross cultural uh, ministries. Um, And he discovered that there was virtually no vision for uh, what God was doing here in the United States. So he left ACU uh, in 2004. Started Mission Alive, moved here to the Metroplex to the Dallas-Fort Worth area, and in 2007 uh, we joined. and His goal was to just plant new churches, churches that would resonate more with uh, North America, North American culture as a whole, but also subcultures within North America. Think thinking more like a missionary, um, and so uh, that's what we've been doing since 2004. So.
0: Galen's a great man. How did the two of you link up? How did that relationship get established and you get involved in, in this mission?
1: Well, so, so when Galen was leaving, uh, so Galen spent 13, 14 years in Kenya in the seventies and eighties, one well, in the early seventies, like, well, 69, 70, 71 time frame, as they were putting a team together, he was the campus minister at the university in Oklahoma where 15, yeah, 13 years later, I was a student. And so the church there helped support them in Kenya. And so uh, I happened to, they had they had their name and address on every, in every classroom of the church building. And I happened to see it, and I decided I was going to send them a Christmas card. So my first contact with them was sending them a Christmas card when I was a brand new Christian, thinking how cool it was to send something overseas, you know? And <laughs> um And then uh, they came back and were in Abilene, and a team that was going to Kenya was supported by the church where we were, and they introduced me and my first wife to Galen and Becky. And I've told Galen for years that God has given him the um, spiritual gift of shoulder-tapping, uh, because uh, he slid up next to me. I was standing in, in his living room in Abilene looking at all of his cool Africa stuff. And he put his arm around me and he said, you could be the Apostle Paul for some unreached people group in Africa. He blew my young 21-year-old mind. And one thing led to another. And a couple years later, we moved to Abilene to study missions. And, but it was God working through Galen that did that. So, And then while we were in Ab- Abilene, you know, he was a mentor and a professor, a friend.
0: So. You, you, those shoulder tappers, you know, they they may never know how such simple words can plant such a vision yep. in a in a person's heart and mind for the kingdom. So, what a great great story! Yep. So, in talking a little bit about Mission Alive, discuss with us some of the areas that differentiate uh, Mission Alive from other church planning organizations. I know you're not in competition with other organizations, but what are some of the things that differentiate Mission Alive and, and maybe walk through some of the major uh, focuses and resources that Mission Alive
1: uh, offers? Okay. So, um, at least in today, as Mission Alive exists today, and, and of course, over the years, we've gone through quite a lot of transition as we've learned how to do what we do. But as we are today, um, We are a church planting ministry, and we have identified 100 marginalized communities around North, throughout North America, so U.S. and Canada, um, for church plants. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean to plant in that community, but plant a church that focuses on that community as its focus of mission. So we are Uh, We are an overtly missional ministry, meaning um, we put front and center the mission of God as the marker of the church as opposed to, um, well, as opposed to worship services, not to say that we're opposed to worship services, but that so often what we do is we make the worship service the single thing that the church worries about. It's where all of its money goes. It's where all of its concerns go. It's where we're, it's what we're counting, you know. And, um, we kind of think that's not the thing to do, certainly not the thing to do in this generation. And so we, um, are leaning heavily into a missional view of the world in which the mission of God being worked out through the church is really what we focus on. So we teach, uh, we teach the leaders to be North American missionaries. That's the simplest way to put it, um, to think more like a missionary than a pastor, um, And that's not to say that they don't have to have speaking gifts and pastoral gifts and things like that. They most certainly do. But before all of that, they need to be thinking like a missionary to think about how do we connect with this community? uh, How do we serve this community in a way that is going to make this community, you know, set up and take notice? So um, that would be one of the main ways that we, we would be different from other church planting organizations, um, certainly the focus on very particular marginalized communities um, now there's kind of two things Be- besides our biblical conviction that that's kind of what Jesus did you know um, and unfortunately our churches have not done that very well over recent generations so we think it's time to get back to that but beyond that um, as a way of tapping into younger, people, uh, we have a generation or two right now in front of us that are very concerned about social issues. And it used to be that the church was on the front end of those instead of digging our heels in. But in recent generations, we've dug our heels in rather than being the people on the front end of those things, leading the way on how to bring about a better world. So that's, that's kind of the impetus behind what we're doing. A
0: big emphasis, uh, I notice, on uh, discipleship, mm-hmm. and and really really seeking to develop disciples who can replicate what's been instilled in them into others. What are some of the ways you all approach that and do that? Because that's a item of great interest, I think, in churches today. We're we're not out to make church members; we're out to make disciples.
1: Well. After about 10 years of church planting, or maybe even a little bit less, 8 years, we began looking around and realizing some of our church planters had done great jobs of gathering people on Sunday morning, but they didn't really know how to walk alongside them and mature them and grow them up into a deeper, more vibrant um, discipleship, life of discipleship. Um and so we began uh of course, I have a deep background in this a deep uh have had, had an interest since I came to Christ, but have never really found a way for it to plug into local church and so we began really diving into that, and over the last about ten years, we've really dialed up uh, our emphasis to the point that i I can say comfortably that I think discipleship should be the engine that drives the church um right behind mission, but then discipleship creates mission. So uh, those two things work very, uh, very much hand in hand. Um, the thing that we're doing that may be a little bit different is that the discipleship that we're doing is really aimed at people that are already Christian and also have a level of, of biblical maturity that we don't start with you know the books of the Bible and the names of the apostles and all of that, we assume that they have all that, that they even have a fairly good handle on uh, what we might think of as sort of an undergraduate understanding of Bible. We assume all of that because we're assessing them for that uh, on the front end. What we've done is we've developed a process of discipleship that anybody, including a younger Christian, could use um but it it addresses the the one thing that bible study rooted discipleship does not address okay most discipleship that i've ever seen heard of read whatever pro- whatever those different discipleship processes are deeply rooted in bible study now they might frame it up topically but it's still essentially bible study what none of them seem to address and what we're trying to address um, is the experience that we all have 24-7 as people of faith walking in the world. And I walk down my street out here and I run into my neighbors. How, what, how am I supposed to be a disciple in that moment? And surely my Bible study is important in that moment, but there may be more to it than that. There may be something I may need to be able to have greater sensitivity uh, to what God is doing in that moment. Um, In fact, in this whole missional movement of the last 20 some years, the, 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 thinking and the way people have talked about it is, you know, God is on mission and our job is to figure out what is he doing and get on board with him. But nobody ever told us, how do you figure out what God is doing and how then do you figure out how to get on board with what he's doing? And the answer is simple. It's called spiritual discernment. But nobody ever taught us, how do we discern the movement of God and our role in his mission. And so that's what we're doing in our discipleship cohorts is we are helping people learn to listen deeply to the Holy Spirit and then uh, figure out what is the action that they need to take coming out of that listening. Um, And so for us, uh, engaging in mission is something you do after you spend a season of spiritual listening. So contemplation and action kind of are hand in hand. They work together. And one without the other is is uh, significantly flawed. So that's kind of what we're doing in, in our discipleship cohorts. So do you all
0: um, go out and shoulder tap? Do people come to you with an interest in planting? Do you work with uh, just people going in full-time to ministry, or do you work with vocational ministers? What's that process of people getting involved with Mission Alive, and from, from planning to launch, or I, I take it you do some church renewal as well. Tell us a little bit about that. I'm sure we've got listeners
1: interested. So, all right, let me address the first one. Um, you know, probably for most of our history, we have primarily pursued people that have degrees in ministry and are looking to do full-time ministry. But in the last five years, that's changed quite significantly. Um, First off, um, we have seen a a noticeable reduction in the number of people going into ministry in the first place. We've also seen, particularly in the last two years, a significant number of veteran ministers getting out of ministry. Um, And so we are recognizing that the future church planters may or may not have any background in professional ministry. Um, so it's certainly causing us to have to change the way we assess and the way we train. Um, you know, one of our newest church plants is up in uh, South Dakota and prior to church planting, they were running a landscaping and arborist business uh, here in the Metroplex and, um, and they just felt God calling them into ministry, and they reached out to us. And, you know, we're, we're working with them. We're working with them to help them uh, develop the, the understandings and the tools that they need um, to do the work. But, um, you know, I don't think in the future that most of our churches will be planted by full-time, you know, uh, graduate-trained ministers. I think, uh, in fact, right now across denominations, uh, there is a significant increase in bivocational ministers uh, in established churches as well as in church plants. And I think we're going to see more of that.
0: What, what do you think are the factors that have led to that?
1: Well, I think churches are shrinking and they can't afford the salaries they used to afford. Uh, that's one. But um, I think also the the shrinking number of people in ministry means that more and more people, particularly outside the Bible Belt, uh, I know any number of people that are ministering in more than one church. Uh, they may be working with two or three small congregations in a region, um, and in some cases, uh, and I think I think for good reason, uh, some people are deciding that um, it's better for the church to not have the salary of a minister that the church can do more if they can put those funds to work other than with a, a salaried minister so uh, there's sort of a, a leader of the of a group of people but as a church they don't nobody is a paid minister but they're doing the work of the church um, and they're working in the community, and that helps the missional impulse, right? Because they're out in the community, getting to know people, and people see them as real people, not as ministers. Because unfortunately, in our world, in most of North America, if you tell somebody that you're a pastor or a preacher, uh, the the best you're going to get is an eye roll. You might actually get some vitriol, you know. Um, so. Um, yeah, I think uh, we're going to see more and more of that. And we're okay with that. We're training people in that way.
0: I I, I love the sound of that. The body of Christ being the body of Christ and priesthood of all believers, something we've always cherished. Um, Talk to us for just a moment, a little bit about some of the other offerings and resources of Mission Alive. Uh, Your Catalyze Coaching, Outfitters Residency, Renew. Just give us a little summary of each of
1: those. So Catalyzed Coaching was developed first. Uh, it's the primary reason I came to Mission Alive, was to coach our church planters. And I learned pretty quickly that um, uh, we were going to need to have some help, some other people to, uh, to do some coaching. And then we also learned that coaching is a, is a really fantastic way of, it's a fantastic model of leadership even for our church planters to use in their churches. And uh, so we just started offering coach training as just part of the thing that we do, partly to multiply coaches for our planters, partly to train our planters to use coaching. But then it's grown well beyond that. And so we have trained most of the coaches for any number of Christian ministries associated with the Stone Campbell movement. Um, and, uh, and all kinds of folks in ministry and in lay ministry. Um, so it's, uh, it's really been a fantastic experience. Um, and then Steve Schaefer and I, Steve is our director of coaching and has been for quite some time. He and I, uh, after we uh, spent some time looking at what we needed in Mission Y, we we sat down and developed, Catalyze coach training, and then wrote the book to for, as a companion for the for the training itself. Um, I'm proud to say that under Steve's leadership, our Catalyze coach training is certified by the international coach federation. So, um, the coaching federation, which is the largest and most professional of all the coaching organizations worldwide. Um, and so we're certified by them. You train with us and you can use it uh, and you can present yourself as a coach recognized by the ICF. Um, so that was the first thing that we did, and I, I would commend coaching either to help anybody grow and develop in really any area of life, but certainly in ministry. Uh, when I learned about coaching, I kept thinking about my time in Africa, thinking how much I wish I had had a coach while I was in Africa, and then the same when I was doing campus ministry. Um so to get a coach is fantastic to really help yourself move forward setting goals and working through the obstacles uh that keep keep us from getting to those goals. Uh but then also to learn how to coach people, uh it is a fantastic tool for disciple making. Uh it it teaches you to leave the responsibility in the hands of the person being coached. So often the leadership that we do in the church the, the person doing the leading sort of assumes responsibility for the other person and, and because we don't want them to fail. And sometimes failure is the best thing for them to, to fail and to learn and to grow from that failure, learn about themselves, and then take another go at it. And nine times out of 10, they'll be successful. So um, that's catalyzed Coaching. Then I've already talked about discipleship cohorts and the discipleship process we have. We have a three a three level, um, three training levels in discipleship cohorts. The first level is what I described earlier. It's about learning to listen to God um, and discern and live out of this listen, take action, listen, take action kind of frame. Um, and the first level is just for anybody. Any, it's just what you would do with anybody that's wanting to to grow. Um, The second level is for somebody that wants to take other people through level one. So they want to start their own group. Then we kind of take them into a cohort. We uh, show them the, the whys and the wherefores and develop some of the skills behind leading people through the process. Then level three is for somebody that's on a congregational or network level where where the person is developing leaders who are then leading groups. And so we train them on, on how to develop a network and develop a training process for getting leaders in and leading discipleship cohorts. And the thing that we've done, because we are primarily and fundamentally kingdom oriented, is once somebody comes through level one, they can lead level one with as many people forever and ever and never owe us a dime. Um, It's just them coming through level one. We ask them to pay for that and then just keep using it and keep doing it. And you never owe us another dime. And we do that because we want people to use this. We want to, we want to see discipleship going on. And I can honestly say, I I have a group running right now. And um, I told them at the beginning, and it's always a bit of a stretch yeah, I'm always a little bit anxious because I tell them at the beginning, it it will not be because of me, but I promise you, you'll grow spiritually. And that's always a risk to say on the front end. But I have learned I can say that safely because it always happens. People come back to our weekly gatherings and you know they're blown away. And it doesn't have anything to do with me as the leader because it's what's they're doing with God. They're opening themselves up to listen to God and God inevitably shows up and has something for them. And uh, and I could tell you story after story after story of things that have happened in various ones of our cohorts. All right. So that's discipleship cohorts. Uh, Outfitters residency. Several years ago, we recognized the need to recruit interns and apprentices into our. Um, church plants as a way of creating a new generation of church planters. And so Outfitters Residency is the process by which we do that. We uh, go to colleges and campus ministries and try and find, you know, various ones of our church plants at any one time are looking for either summer interns or one or two year apprentices to come in and help them. And we've had people do like a gap year and work as an apprentice with one of our campus ministries. And so that's what uh, Outfitters Residency is, is trying to tap into younger people and draw them into church plants. And they end up being a a great help, a tremendous help to the church plant, but also they're learning uh, what does life in a church plant look and feel like. So, and then Renew, which is the, of those four that you mentioned, you know we just don't have as much to do with renew you said that you think there's a lot of churches that would be interested in that and there are for several years we were doing a lot of renew renewal work but we noticed that it was taking us away from our core function of church planting so um we do have a few programs for renew uh in the coming couple of years we're going to be developing some online training courses that will be available to um, anybody, whether there are church planters or any leader, anybody that wants to take it. Um, and so those will be helpful, but they they won't be necessarily something that we come and deliver. But we do have a couple of things. We have um, uh, some some training in leadership and discipling and how to think about those things for congregations. Uh, we have a a, um, a uh, seminar, if you will, on group spiritual discernment and how uh, groups can practice spiritual discernment as opposed to thinking more like a corporate board where we're doing pros and cons and budgets and we're making a decision based on that. Let's shift that frame to more. It's not that those things aren't important. It's that uh, they are secondary to paying attention to what God is saying to us. Um, and so uh, we, take, we take leaderships through that and then, of course, we will come in and do coach training in a local congregation over the course of two days, just to give the leaders their a taste and give them a few tools that whatever we can do in a couple of days. So mm-hmm. that's what we're doing. Hey,
0: share with us, you know, you hear about ministries like Mission Alive, um, yet yet you that are involved in it, you get to experience. I'm sure. Some, some heartache in what you see, but also some, some success. Share with us some success stories that excite you and that well, you just really light up when you think about what God's done using this ministry in some places.
1: Uh, we've got a church plant uh, just on the outskirts of Montgomery, Alabama, and um, this church planter's name's Wes. Wes had been on staff at a church in Montgomery for years and years and years, fantastic minister, just gifted in so many ways, was living in a newly developing residential area on the other side of a river. And the bridge that crossed the river was a toll bridge, which meant, and that was really about the only way to get there. There was some other longer ways you could go, but the way everybody went was across the toll bridge. And there was all these neighborhoods out there, but hardly any churches. And so he finally decided that he was going to plant a church out there. So they began the work of of starting a church. And uh, where he lived, about a three-minute walk around the corner was the local volunteer fire department. And so he went up there and met a few people and he realized these people don't, you know, they they don't think anybody knows who they are, what they do. They don't care anything about us. So the first thing, the first big thing that his new church plant did was sponsor a community-wide picnic in honor of the volunteer fire department. And, um... So that's how he got to know the volunteer fire department. Now their church still does. They still do these things for the volunteer fire department. But through that, he got to know some of those volunteer firefighters. They convinced him to go to fire school. And he today is a volunteer firefighter. He carries a, a, um, what do you call it? It's preach cell phone. What were those things? Those little clip on here?
0: Yeah, yes. Uh,
1: A buzzer, you know, a pager, a pager. Yeah, pager. There we go. Thank you. He carries a pager. <laughs> I haven't, I haven't been out there in a couple of years since pre COVID, but he used to carry this pager from the volunteer fire department. And because he was working in the area, this area is a bedroom community for Montgomery. Most everybody drives over. But he would be the one that was right there. And anytime somebody in the community had a car wreck or a house fire or medical incident, a lot of times he was the first guy on the scene. So all of a sudden, this new church plant, the pastor of it is more well-known than almost any other pastor <laughs> in the area. And now they start getting calls by people when they're you know, having some life challenges or whatever. you know. And it also put him in a position to really pastor to people at some of the most difficult times of their life. So uh, that's sort of one of those things, like you can't train that. I cannot train people to go be a volunteer fire, right? Like that's just something that you train them to pay attention and, and to look for those, for those ways. Last story I'll give you. And it's similar to the, to the volunteer firefighter story. It's the church planter we have in South Dakota that I mentioned earlier. Um, when he and his family got there in 2019, uh, just before COVID, so, so COVID was was really a shock to everybody. But when he first got there, he began meeting some, he's there primarily to minister to the Lakota Sioux on and near the Pine Ridge Reservation. And Pine Ridge, um, a lot of people don't realize this. But Pine Ridge is the second poorest community, at least by some measures, the second poorest community in the Western Hemisphere hmm. behind Haiti, right? It's Haiti and then Pine Ridge, South Dakota. Um, and it's, it's hard for me to wrap my brain around a country like the U.S. having the second poorest community in all of the Western Hemisphere. But Pine Ridge is just, it's incredibly poor. It's incredibly sad. They're there ministering uh, to and among the, the Lakota Sioux population that's there. And um, one thing he learned was some of the poorest of the poor on the reservation, one of the biggest problems they have is heating in the winter. They don't have money. A lot of them don't live in houses that have any electricity or gas run to them. So, And if they did, they couldn't afford it anyway. And so they usually heat their houses with wood, but we're talking prairie here. There's not just a lot of trees. There are trees around, but usually you got to go get them or you have to pay somebody for firewood. They don't have money for that either. So he discovered this need for firewood. And then he met uh, right around the same time, first few months that he was there, he met the guy who is the warden of a local national forest preserve. And in conversation with that guy, he learned that the biggest challenge the preserve has is thinning out the trees in case of forest fire that will, you know, protect the forest by thinning out trees. Now, the guy that I'm talking about, the church planner that I'm talking about is the guy who, when he was here in Fort Worth, ran an arborist and landscaping business. So God has a funny way about him and he puts two and two together And so our church planter starts his church planting ministry by going to the uh, U.S. government warden of the fire preserve and says, I'll thin out your trees for free. You don't have to pay me anything as long as I can have the wood. And he was like, that's fantastic. And then he goes to the reserve and says, you know, uh, how about if I just bring and give people firewood? And they're like, fantastic. And during COVID, the only way he could get on Pine Ridge Reservation was with a load of firewood. Wow. And now Amazing. he is known as, they, they don't think much of Christians. They have a pretty negative reaction to Christians, but they know this guy brings firewood. And yeah. so it's it's the beginning, right? It's not the end. It's just the beginning. It's how we get into people's lives. So those are two examples of how, you know, this is church planting ministry, and it doesn't look anything like church planting ministry, the way we think of it. But this is what happens. This is how God absolutely.
0: Works. Oh, those are great stories. I'd love those. Love those. Let me let me ask you before we bring this discussion to a close how how broadly do you work within the Stone Campbell movement? Are you primarily just working with churches of Christ? Do you also work with independent Christian churches? Have you done anything in ICOC churches? Um, and and perhaps if not, what what is What is the entity open to? What is your organization open
1: to? So I generally say that we have one foot in Stone Campbell and one foot out. Uh, Meaning when you ask, what are we open to? We're we're open to anybody. Um, We do not see ourselves as some kind of an authoritative body that tells people. uh, Honestly, I do not want the responsibility of telling church leaders halfway across the country the doctrines that they have to teach. Um, I'm not a denominational authority. I am not a bishop. Uh, I'm a church planting trainer. <laughs> and so we're going to train them to plant a church. And then whatever they're teaching uh, is between them and God and God will hold them accountable. Um, I, I reject the idea that I have to be the doctrinal policeman for everybody. Um, so what that means is we'll teach anybody to plant. I'll even teach people to plant a church that I don't want to go worship in. Right. I mean, and we have, right. We've planted churches that that's just not my kind of thing, you know, Um, but I'll teach them to plant a church um, and then let them and God kind of work out the details. Um, So have we planted a lot of non-churches of Christ? No, we haven't because our primary network is churches of Christ and independent Christian churches. Um, we've not really done much with the ICOC because we've not had any particular inroads. Um, but we are open to working with all of them, uh, and well beyond. Um, so yeah, yeah, we would help anybody with anything, you know, as long, as long as it's within our wheelhouse, you know, so.
0: Well, as we're coming to a close here, um, is there anything else we're going to be talking about how the, the times they are a changing next time, uh, we're, uh, broadcasting, or podcasting, I should say. Is there anything else you'd like our listeners to know about Mission Alive and tell folks where they can learn more about what uh, your ministry is up to?
1: You know, I think we've we've pretty well covered, you know, the details about Mission Alive. Um, you know, we want to plant churches. We want to help churches do discipleship better. Uh, we want to help people do great leadership and uh, train people in that. So that's really what we do. Um, You can contact us first. Our website is www.missionalive.org. Pretty straightforward. Um, Or you can contact us through email. That's really the easiest way. And that's contact at missionalive.org. Or my personal email is Todd, T-O-D, 1-D, at missionalive.org. Or you can call 214-342-214-342. 2756-2756. 2756-2756. Um, so yeah, those are the ways to get hold of us. Or check it. Get, jump on Facebook where we've got a presence there as well. So
0: very good. Well, well, Todd, I can't tell you how good it's been to be with you. We thank you for taking this time. And you're going to be with us again on our next podcast, which will drop a couple of weeks from now. Uh, so thank you for this conversation. Again, folks, it's Mission Alive. The website is www.missionalive.org, and then you can rewind to hear some of that other contact information as far as phone numbers and emails, but I take it much of that's on the website. So, Todd, thank you for being here, and we look forward to you joining us again for our next podcast as we talk about some other matters related to the kingdom. And in the meantime, if you're one of our listeners thinking about uh, expanding your Efforts to building relationships with people, both within Stone Campbell Movement churches and beyond, as we like to say. Let me encourage you to get in touch with somebody, grab a cup of coffee, and just start talking. Build that relationship. We'll be back with you in just a couple of weeks for another podcast with Todd Vogt. Thank you for listening to the Common Grounds Unity Podcast. Please check out commongroundunity.org to learn more about who we are. You can subscribe to the essays, join our Facebook group, or find our YouTube channel. And please check out the gatherings page where you can connect with other unity-minded Christians in your area. If you can't find a gathering in your area, we can help you start one. It's not difficult or time-consuming, and we'll help you out along the way. It really does simply start with a cup of coffee. If you want to volunteer or ask questions, please email john at commongroundsunity.org. And lastly, we need your help by donating to this ministry of reconciliation. Your donation is tax-deductible. Links for donating are in the show notes or on our website. Until next time, God bless, and remember, unity starts with a cup of coffee.